Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. The Product Startup Podcast, Episode 10. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step with your host, Philip Valitza. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast. In the last episode, we heard from Gordon Firemark, an attorney devoted to representing creative and business people in the media. We talked about the many legal issues faced by small business owners, including non-disclosure agreements, contracts, endorsements, fair use in advertising, patents, trademarks, and copyrights. So if you haven't seen that yet, please check out episode nine of the Product Startup Podcast. Before I get into today's episode, I wanted to thank Clever and Funny, who left the review on iTunes. He or she says, no fluff, one of the best podcasts out there for product-based startups. So many startup entrepreneur podcasts take the hyped up entrepreneur on fire approach. Philip flips that expectation on its head with a hype-free, no-nonsense, meat-and-potatoes podcast that provides actionable content. Well done. I'll be spreading the word. Thanks, Clever and Funny. I really appreciate that. I think it's hard building anything without feedback, including this podcast. Sometimes I see other successful products or services, and it's hard to differentiate what brought them to that point. So I think we can all get caught up into this trap to emulate competitors, and it gets hard for the consumer to differentiate between what's really being offered or what the unique value proposition is. At the same time, I think it's also hard for the creators to tell what's essential and what just came along for the ride. So thanks again for that comment. That really means a lot to me. And now onto the show. Today's episode will be a solo run and I'll be addressing the number one question I get asked. I have an idea. Now, what do I do? The short answer is, Make sure people will pay you money for it and then create a concept prototype yourself. So in today's episode, I will show how anyone, even if they don't have any technical experience, can take the next step with their product idea. The opinion I'm about to share is just my perspective. I'm not an internet guru. I don't profess to know everything, but I have worked as an engineer for Fortune 50 companies, for a serial entrepreneur, and for companies sized in between. So I do see how different size companies answer this question. And the advice that I'm going to give you today is practical based on this experience bringing products to market. I also think anything is possible given enough money and time, so I'll try to reference some of these limiting factors along the way. So I think everyone knows the basic steps to bringing a product to market, design, make, and sell. But before I even start to determine how to make something, I try to look at the why. I've seen people and even companies take the, if you build it, they will come approach to building products. Um, Sometimes this can work if you know your target market really well. I think many times it just burns a lot of time and money while you're uh, trying to experiment and and find that proper audience. So most of the companies that I've worked for, the sales or business development team usually handles validating the market. They talk to as many potential customers as possible. They know how a customer would even answer some of the questions that I'll ask them later on without even asking them. So the first point is to know your market really well. So if you're looking to save time, you can buy consumer data or run advertisement to your target market online, like using Facebook Insights or AdWords, to see how they respond to particular offers. I've tried this route 
personally on the side and it hasn't worked well for me for all products. I think I've spent a lot of money advertising to people who don't want to buy what I'm selling because I assumed that I knew who the audience was and I didn't really refine the target market well enough. So the main point here is that we're speaking to customers that would not only want to buy our product because it fills the need that we're trying to meet or the problem that we're solving, but also that they have the ability to buy the product. And a lot of times I have worked for companies that will throw money at their existing customer base that may not necessarily be the target market for their newest product. And this is why I really like talking to people firsthand, at least for the first 20 or 30 customers, because that way you can see the direction that they're thinking. So I try to listen as much as I can, and they tell me what their problems are in their words. So usually the words that they use are, quote, I wish that, or I hate that, or, well, that's just the way this is. And if you continue to pull at those threads and ask them, what ifs, what if you did this or that, or looked at it differently, or if there was a product or service that didn't behave this way, that it can help you find some of the answers that you're looking for without posing a leading question. So I try to get as specific as I can as quickly as possible, because otherwise people will feel like they're answering a phone survey. So this is the more time, less money approach. Uh, obviously, there's ways of spending some money upfront on targeted marketing analysis. Uh, but I do really think it's important to handle this yourself, because if you don't understand who your customer is, it's going to be much more difficult to answer some questions later on. So when I first started my career, I was working for a serial entrepreneur and among his employees, they called him King Midas. And that's because everything he touched would turn to gold. He worked in industries that were unrelated and he would just spot a deal and say, OK, I'm going to go ahead and buy this because I feel that I'm getting a good deal in this and not really have any background knowledge or experience in the field that he was getting into. Uh, but he did have a knack for growing and building companies, and he was absolutely amazing at reading people. So I was working for this company building a widget and customers also bought complimentary products um, along with ours that we didn't sell. So the owner gets the idea to combine three of these most common products together to come out with an all-in-one type product. So we created a design and did a rough feasibility study. And usually this follows the same track. Does the technology exist independently? In other words, has the problem been solved in discrete components? And are we just kind of packaging it together? Um, that definitely decreases the amount of time that you have to market because you're not having to do pretty strenuous R&D. Is there a way to reduce the cost or footprint? In other words, what is the value that we're providing for the customer? And then we contacted the companies to get a rough cost of it. So these three points were done in the span of, let's say, two weeks or so. So we created the outside container that this three-in-one widget would house. And it was a vehicle-mounted product, so it was relatively large. And then the owner and sales team took the unit to a trade show. And it was a very professional product. It had a control panel. Everything was kind of, the outside was presented as if it would appear in the final product. So by all accounts, looking at it, you would expect that the product would be complete. But in reality, we had never done any of the engineering on the inside. We were basically pre-selling an empty box. And I remember this really scared me as a younger engineer because I thought of all these technical issues that might come up. Here's all these components that we're trying to shove in this finite sized container. 
and maybe we can't get them to work together. Maybe the supplier didn't send us the proper samples and we got something that worked better than it should. There are all these questions that we haven't tested yet. And here we were pre-selling it. So I thought it was a bit crazy, but what that was essentially doing was pre-selling a product before we spent all this money on the design and testing and prototyping. And so after the owner sold a few products on the trade show, we designed, prototyped, and manufactured it. So why don't we usually validate to this level? I think people skip the step and start building straight away, and there's many reasons for that. I think a lot of the people that I work with just plain enjoy building. Um, these are tinkers or people who like to do things with their hands. They're very action-oriented. And so it's just, you know, rubber meets the road. Let's just start going. And I think that along with people who think that they already know the answer or they, they think they know the target market, they may not want to hear otherwise. It's really difficult to, to hear that this idea that you've been dreaming about, that you haven't been able to uh, fall asleep for the last a few weeks or months about doesn't have any legs. You really want to continue. You want to see it be produced. You want to create it. So we're in love with this idea and it feels great to have something in your hand that you made. So why not? I think it's really rough to go down this path because you can spend a lot of time tweaking this prototype and you don't really have a goalpost that you're chasing. You're just creating something that you have in your mind and it hasn't been uh, vetted by the market. And I've been surprised many times, even working for some of these small companies, that we've already built products for the same target market and the market doesn't respond to it the way that we would expect it to. Because there's all these other variables that are really hard to account for. So in short, I think it can be tough, but it's better to find out that it doesn't work early on than later after you've invested so much effort. So the other reason that I see people fail to validate is because they assume that they will lose their idea or that someone else will run with it. Maybe they're worried of invalidating future patent claims. I find that it helps to focus on the benefits to the consumer. So instead of telling people what your idea is, you say, uh, would you not buy a widget that would save you 20 minutes every time that you did blank? If you don't talk about the how specifically, then there's no real idea to steal there's just a concept this this idea that you're presenting them pretty much um, there's no need to get, give away your secret sauce just let them taste the burger so to speak i also think there's a very small group of people that have the problem that we're solving and the means to execute it better than us so in terms of venn diagrams there's you know one circle that represents all the people that respond to the problem that you're solving and another circle that kind of overlaps that have the capability to bring products to market. And there's this tiny sliver in between that maybe could uh, come up with a product. But um, chances are they're busy working on other things. They might not have the gusto, the perseverance, the mindset, the particular angle that you're approaching. So again, I don't let those people bother me. I also think that if all you have is an idea, then you're really limited in what else you're bringing to the table. So a lot of people think that the value of idea is pretty high, but I think that in fact, it's the other way around because the idea is the beginning of the journey that has very little value and it just has a whole lot of risk. And the way that you eliminate this risk is you go through this step-by-step -step product development process where you validate the market and create the prototype and go through the whole design and 
filing any patents and design for manufacturing and funding and marketing and selling it, all those individual steps slowly lower your risk because you confirm that the market is there and that people are willing to pay for your product. And you do some upfront design and make sure that the product will work. All of that has value. And by definition, you're adding value to this idea. So at the very beginning, your idea, in my opinion, doesn't have any, uh, any value to start with. So how can we do this right now? Most recently, I've had pretty good experience using targeted forums online, whether it's Facebook groups or specific forums dedicated to uh, people who have are in this hobby or this particular niche and just asking them that question, just saying, hey, I'm thinking about creating this. Obviously, it has to be an informed question where you understand the material well enough because otherwise people will blow you off. But I've had a really good experience with just saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking about creating for a friend. Does anybody have any input to this? Would you like something like that? And a lot of times people will tell you what they want and you just have to be open to receiving that. While we're talking about speaking to other people about our ideas, I wanted to talk about NDAs really quick. So in my opinion, NDAs aren't really worth anything. They're really hard to prove in court. How could you say that this person talked about your idea to somebody else when you weren't there? So it's, it's very difficult to prove. Um, you can use them if you want to feel better. I know people that use them because they want to appear serious and professional. Uh, be aware that NDAs are specific to each state if you live in the states. Um, so there are state laws that govern NDAs. And also that investors may not want to sign them. So that's a really quick blur about NDAs. So after you validate your market and you've talked to 20 or 30 people and you've gotten a pretty good idea of what you should build, I think it's time to go ahead and build a concept prototype. So usually the way that we use concept prototypes and work are to show how the product will look. And that's a lot faster than having to go through the same explanation with your target market over and over again. So this is something that you can use to help validate your idea further if you need to talk about specifics. Uh, the next step would be to flesh out some of the design and then build the functional prototype to test how it will work. And at the very end, you'll create a production prototype along with your manufacturer to prove how the high volume manufacturing techniques and materials fit in with your design. So the main purpose of building a prototype for us is to get feedback and reduce risk. And the way we do that is that we continue testing and we just remove what doesn't work and then iterate again and you show it to a different group and then see how they think about the product and repeat over and over again. This is a really quick way also when you're working on the functional prototype to verify how different materials or mechanisms and features work by just building one particular part of it without having to build the entire product over and over again. You're just testing this one item or this one component. This is also the good time to experiment with colors, textures, and coatings. And again, customers really like to give you feedback when there's a physical model for them to comment on. So if you're designing a product with somebody, the prototype can also help you work together on the same product. Uh, another reason that people use prototypes is to help them get funding. So if you're at the point now where you're still building your own prototypes and you're looking to solicit funding from an investor, it can help lower risk by proving to somebody that this product can be manufactured. And most importantly, they want to see that it performs as advertised. So make sure that the prototype shows the benefit of your product and 
it solves their problem. Lastly, some people like to develop a prototype because it helps them to get a patent. You technically don't need a prototype to solicit a patent, but sometimes inventors will file claims uh, that don't match how the product will actually function, and the prototype will help you prove that the idea works before you're spending money patenting claims that cannot be reproduced. So in general, there's multiple ways of creating prototypes, whether you're going to build them at home or you go to specific workshops to build them together in classes or you hire a manufacturer to do it. Or ultimately, you can even hire a company to both design and build the prototype and final product. So that's an increasing scale of spending more money, uh, but putting less time into the process. So in general, we try to use familiar tools, especially in the beginning, to focus on creating a prototype as quickly as possible. So the goal is to find what works and what doesn't really fast. And that means we don't turn to the fancy buzzwords of the day like 3D printers and other things if we don't have to because we pick up older products or we go and disassemble some other parts from other things or use cardboard mock-ups, whatever makes the process go by really quick. Otherwise, you're spending a lot of time creating something on the computer and printing it and it may not function as you expect. So the main takeaway here is to don't focus on the details. Don't let them distract you from the main idea, which is focus on how something will work. Break it up into individual pieces. If it's something that's complicated, you don't need to build the whole complete product in, as a single prototype to test your idea. Don't worry about making it perfect. You're just testing out discrete components to see if individually everything will work and then you can assemble it all together. That's definitely a lot easier than trying to make it look and function properly in the first step. Once you prove that your idea works and you have tested that with your target market, then try to combine the two and eventually work on the design and then work with a manufacturer to mass produce your product. And they're going to help to confirm that you can create this in scale below a price that customers are willing to pay. So don't try to tackle the function aesthetics and manufacturability all at once because that's one of the reasons it takes some people so long to build a prototype is that they're trying to meet all three things in the very beginning. So practically speaking, how can we build prototypes as efficiently as possible? Again, this is going to depend on your risk tolerance, how much time versus money you have and what your skill set is. But in general, it can be lumped into at least four categories, and that's doing it yourself at home or in your garage, doing it in some sort of a class that you take, contacting a manufacturer and creating the design in conjunction with them, and then lastly, hiring a invention promotion company that will essentially do the beginning to end for you. They'll do the complete design of prototyping manufacturer. So starting at the beginning, I love DIY. I love working with my hands. And so we always develop prototypes ourselves at any company that I've worked for. And mainly that's because you get to keep the proprietary information to yourself. So you lower the risk of publicizing the idea before you're ready and you get to iterate really quickly. You're making revisions to prototypes sometimes several times a day, as many times as you want on your schedule. And you're saving a whole lot of money because instead of paying someone to build an expensive prototype before you think it can work, you're making some mistakes up front. So, of course, the cons are that you're going to delay your schedule a little bit. And if you have a really tight schedule, this may not be suitable for you. And there's also a risk that you won't produce anything usable. 
the easiest ways that I find of creating prototypes by hand are using paper, cardboard, or foam board models. You can buy construction kits like erector sets. Um, there's obviously wood hardware, plastic at the home goods stores and the home improvement stores. Art supply stores are really great because they have some modeling clays that can harden in the oven and plastics that air dry. And then you can also get some casting and molding kits. If your product is electronic, I love the Lego Mindstorms kit. It's basically a Lego kit with a brain that you can program. And it's really easy to program because it's designed for uh, children aged 10 to 15. So uh, everything is kind of drag and drop. So it's a visual based programming language. Um, you can also, if you're more inclined, learn analog circuits through something like Bright Hub Engineering, where they have kits that you can order that have all the components that you need. My favorite is browsing my local dollar or clearance store for different products that have similar functions that I want, and I'll kind of Frankenstein them together. The advantage with all of these products is that they're already manufactured. They only will cost you typically a dollar or two each, and it's a lot cheaper than buying some of these components directly. So even if you need a particular light bulb or a certain handle, buying at the dollar store is way cheaper than buying it online and shipping it. Another great benefit to using products from dollar stores is that you can take them apart and see how they work and repurpose some of the mechanisms that are inside for your product. So the next stage of prototyping is to use computer modeling, um, prototyping platforms, and you could even take classes local to your city. So computer modeling, I mean creating a 3D model using a tool such as SketchUp, which is free. Autodesk 123D is also free. And so is Tinkercad. And then you can export these models to a 3D printer. Personally, I wouldn't buy a 3D printer if you're only going to make a couple models, but you can use a service like Shapeways or Pinoco to create and upload this model and they can ship it to you after they print it. If you've got an electronic product, uh, the Arduino and the Raspberry Pi are awesome prototyping kits. They're really powerful credit card sized computers and you will have to learn some programming but it can basically do anything almost a normal uh, PC can do. And they also have a lot of sensors and displays and keypads and all sorts of things to kind of prototype your, your project really quickly. If you're developing a mobile app or software, they also have some interface templates out there. If you go on sites like FreebiesBug and Dribble, you can find some of them. And then there's also other programs that will show how your application will look on various platforms like iOS, OS X, and Android, and you don't need to use Photoshop for that. And then there's prototyping platforms that even simulate how this will interact and how people will use your app. The most popular ones are UX app, Envision, and Marvel. So personally, I've taken a couple classes at my local community college, and I think they were really helpful, and it was definitely worth my time. Uh, continuing education classes can be two to three hundred dollars per semester and it's really great for people who want to learn additional skills and to take their ideas further again this will still take some time it's going to take you a semester to learn something but you will get pretty in-depth into that particular topic uh, something that's often overlooked is a lot of vendors retailers and tool manufacturers will put on workshops and classes to help sell their equipment so they'll have a free class that's skills based that trains you how to use their equipment uh, to do a particular function. I think those are really great because it gets you building instantly. 
Lastly, don't overlook community workspaces like hackerspaces and makerspaces. For $60 to $120 a month, you get access to similar equipment that high-tech manufacturers use to make their own products. The staff can be really helpful and give you tips and training needed to use the tools and equipment. So there's a hackerspace wiki online that you can find or a tech shop where you can go and take some of these classes. So they're a huge benefit. So if you don't have as much time and you don't really want to learn the skills, you can certainly outsource building a prototype. Uh, The advantage of all this is that you're going to finish building the prototype faster than making it yourself. And you can focus on other parts of the product development process. So the cons are that you're definitely going to spend much more money. Consider maybe a 10x, 15x multiple, uh, depending on your product. For example, if you have a mechanical product, I know a lot of machine shops charge an average of $80 to $120 an hour with parts taking 5, 10, 20 hours easily to, to machine and make, depending on how complex it is. You'll also deal with certainly more paperwork And you may want to file a provisional application if you want to seek patent protection, because at this point you are disclosing your idea to somebody else. So do seek a patent lawyer or uh, intellectual property attorney for advice on that. So the process of finding manufacturers is a little bit involved, but I do have a link online where that you can follow. In general, what you'll want to do is focus on communicating your design Many manufacturers deal with designers and engineers, and they're used to seeing drawing specifications, 3D models, and that's the way that they're going to expect their design communicated. And you also want to evaluate all the costs. Sometimes they'll price the product based on order quantity, and there can sometimes be a 30 to 50 plus percent drop in price if you move up in orders of quantity from 1, 10, or 100 products. Also, don't forget the cost of shipping and sometimes the cost of setting up a project may or may not be included in the unit cost that you get. So again, I'll leave some links on the episode notes. Lastly, if you have zero time and a whole lot of money, there are places where you can take your idea. They're basically one-stop invention shops and they'll conduct the market research for you. They'll design and build the prototype. They'll recommend that you get patent protection if you want it. Um, They can create the engineering drawings and specifications. They'll even work with manufacturers to get quotes and sourcing and even secure distribution rights and stores that will sell your product. Uh, Some of them even will advertise and market your product to the proper audience. So keep in mind that an invention promotion company can sometimes cost five to $15,000 or more depending on the complexity of your product and how many legal services you will need. And I'll have a link at the bottom of the episode notes for that as well. So in general, there's a lot of options and and ways of developing your prototype. Do not stall out. Focus on making tiny incremental steps. I think that anybody can help take a product idea to market. I know I've thrown out a lot of information, but I really think that it's all doable, even if you don't have any experience and you don't even have to believe me. I would listen to a couple previous podcast episodes if you haven't already. So if you have a new idea and no experience, I would look at episode two, The Perky Collar with David Frankel. So he wore his daughter's headband under his collar to a meeting, and that's how he uh, proved that his idea works. Uh, Episode four, Brad Summy with Savage Jerky. He tested batches of beef jerky in his local community, perfecting it each time. So again, he was iterating it, bringing it to the bar, having people taste it. And 
waited until there were enough people that wanted to buy it before he went to market. So if you already have an existing idea that you think that you can make an improvement on, there's also some episodes that I think are worth listening to. Episode five with Matt Hoffna and Eric Palumbo with Mini Materials. Matt saw the product, knew that he could make it better and cheaper and just took off. And then episode six with Kelsey Duffy with Versakini. Kelsey was working with a partner who abandoned the idea and she just knew that she could make it work. So all of these are also great examples of products that approach problems differently than the existing products on the market. So the last thing that I'll leave you with is make sure that you're not just recycling existing ideas on the market. You do have to have a unique benefit that no one else has. And that concludes today's episode. Thanks for joining me today. I put all the links that we've covered on the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com slash episode 10. Have you brought a product to market or do you know someone who has? Drop me a note by going to theproductstartup.com and clicking on Ask Philip. I'd love to have you on the show. If you love the episode, please leave me a review on iTunes by going to productstartup.com slash review. I really appreciate your support. I read all the comments and I try to incorporate them into future episodes. See you guys in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Valitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.